You gentlemen, you men, you guys, you young guys should have received a sheet, just my desire. I'll probably say something about it at the end of the sermon. But in light of what we discussed this morning, directed not only to men, but also to boys, to teen guys, also to men or ladies, as well as younger ladies, would encourage you to think about God. If I were to have a title for this message, it would be, Is There a Substitute for Fathers? And I would answer that question with a question, Is there a substitute for God? There is no substitute for God, so there's no substitute for fathers. And I realize we live in a broken, fallen world where some fathers do not live and respond as they should. They do not really father their children very well. Others may do very well. But in the midst of living in a broken and fallen world, we want to reflect some this morning on God as Father. What is God like as a father? And if you're a father, a grandfather, or will be a father someday, imitate God and what he is like as a father. And think about God, whatever your background may be as you were raised, what he is like as a father. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We know that God has created Adam and Eve. He has blessed them. And in chapter 2 we find that there's another, when I say another account, an expanded account of what happens in creation. And in verses 15 through 17... Scripture says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now the instruction was given to Adam. He was to be the leader in the relationship between himself and Eve. That comes through very clearly in the text as you go on. So the Guidance was given to Adam. God taught him. God gave Adam what was needed along with Eve to live in relationship with God. What they needed to know was they're to take care of the garden. They're free to eat of it, but they must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat of it, you will surely die. God had also given him some instruction back in chapter 1. God blessed them in verse 28 and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So what's God doing in chapter 1 and chapter 2? He's giving guidance and instruction to Adam and to Eve in how to live in relationship with him. God as a father teaches and gives what is needed for people to live in relationship with him. We won't turn to Exodus 20, but in Exodus 20 we find what we call the Ten Commandments. God was giving to Israel what they needed to live in relationship with him and then live out that relationship with him in their relationships with others in the last six of the Ten Commandments. 
You go over to the epistles. You find in the epistles that the writers over and over talk about, here's how to live in relationship to God. Colossians 1 and 2 is an example. Our vertical relationship with God. And then Colossians 3 and 4, living out our relationships with others, whether it be on the job, with other believers, within the home. God, as a father, teaches, gives instruction in how to live in relationship with him, in relationship with others. As fathers, God desires for us to guide our children, to teach them, to instruct them, our grandchildren, to guide them and to teach and instruct them how to live in all of life. Dad teaching children, whether daughters or sons, about sex and how to live in a world that God created and said it was good and that he created sex. How to live in a world of money and the economy in which we live. How to live in school, responding to teachers and the authority that teachers may provide. How to relate to kids who may not always respond so well. How to live in relationships with a neighbor, when they get older with a coworker. How they live in college. How to live as a husband, how to live as a wife, how to live as a parent. Dad seeking to provide that instruction. You get about 18, 19, 20 years, you know, when they're with you, and you can still give that after they leave home. But a father, modeling God, just teaching, guiding, and directing. My father's been gone for quite a few years, but until he died, I many times would call and say, hey, Dad, what about this and what about that? He lived longer. He was wiser. So fathering does not stop when kids leave home. And if your parents are still living, whatever age you may be, don't assume that because you're 18 or 19 or 20 that you shouldn't seek mom and dad, particularly in this case, dad's counsel and guidance. In Genesis chapter 1, we find that God as Father does something else. Again, look at verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. God blessed them. The idea of blessing is God giving to Adam and to Eve what they needed to rule over the earth, to be fruitful and increase in number, to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living creature that moves along the ground. So God didn't merely say, here's what you're to do. He says, I'm blessing you, I'm providing you, I'm giving you what you need to fulfill the responsibilities that I have given to you. In other words, he's empowering them. You think about Ephesians chapter 1, and we won't turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about the fact that God has blessed the believer with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So God says to us guys that are married, 
love our wives as Christ loved the church. He tells us to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And before he tells us that in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing. I've given you everything that you need to obey. So God is a father teaches, guides how to live in relationship with him, how to live in relationship with others, but then he blesses. He gives the car, if you please. It's running, the tank is full, and the tank stays continuously full. He says, now live. Think about that as a father as a grandfather, where we bless our children, our grandchildren. And I'm not saying, bless you. We enable them, we teach them, we guide them in how to live well. Having grown up in a farm, it would have been like my dad saying to me when I was, I don't know, eight or nine or ten when I started driving the tractor and would cultivate corn and do some disking and harrying and so on. But let's take the cultivating corn in the olden days before you had chemicals that killed all the weeds and so on. So dad said, Dan, go out and cultivate. Well, dad, what am I cultivating? Just go out and cultivate. See, he's not blessing me because he wasn't telling me what to do. But he said, Dan, go out and cultivate corn, and this is how you do it. I'm going to ride with you for a while. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to give you everything that you need to cultivate this corn correctly. By the way, that meant sitting on the tractor hour after hour, looking at the corn row. And if you knock some corn over because a stone went in, we were expected to stop and get that stone off the corn. doesn't happen nowadays. I know I'm marking my age when I say all that. But what was Dad doing? He was blessing me. He was guiding me. He was giving me the help that I needed so I could come in at the end of the day and say, I did what you said, Dad, because you blessed me. A way to embitter a child is to never bless them in the sense that you don't enable them and empower them to live well. Paul talks about don't embitter children, don't exasperate them. My dad was a good father, but there's a couple areas he probably didn't give the blessing as he should have. And one of them was in how I would respond to my wife. And there were times I thought, what in the world? I don't say this in any negative way to Ruth Ann. How do I respond to this woman? Not faulting her. She just did not at that time and still doesn't tick like me. I still don't understand my mother sometimes. I think, you know, what makes her tick? And that's not a criticism. It's saying that we're different. What did I need? A blessing from dad to say, here's what women are like generally. And when you can't figure them out because your wife is unique, then you go to God and say, God, I need tons of wisdom in how to love my wife. See, that's blessing. God as a father teaches, guides how to live in relationship with him and relationship with other people. He blesses, he enables, he gives what is needed. 
Then look in Genesis chapter 3. God as a father pursues when we sin. In Genesis 3, 1 through 7, we find that Adam and Eve have chosen not to obey. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God clearly instructed Adam and Eve. He blessed them. They chose not to obey. They were created in his image, so they had a free will. They chose to exercise it in rebellion against God. They have sinned, and what comes with sin is hiding. How many times have you seen children hide when they sin, or have you hidden when you were younger, when you disobeyed mom and dad? God, as a father, pursues them. It's God taking the initiative. It's not them coming to God. It's God going to them. Where are you? And as you read the text, it's not like this. Where are you? The text is coming from the heart of God. He desired a relationship with them. He had a relationship. They chose to sin. And in tenderness and in compassion, with deep love. Where are you? God knew what had happened. He answered, that is Adam, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's interesting that God pursues Adam first. That's who he gave the instruction to. And he pursues him and he asks a question. And I think there's a reason as you look at Scripture why God may have asked a question, where are you? So that Adam could say, clearly I'm hiding, I ate of the fruit that I shouldn't have, I'm guilty, I disobeyed you. No, take responsibility. But what does Adam do? He doesn't take responsibility. He says, I was afraid, I was naked, so I hid. But he doesn't say, I disobeyed. So God again responds to him. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Gives him another opportunity to say, yes, I eat of the fruit. And what does Adam do? The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Guys, how many times have we blamed our wives over the years for how we respond? Well, if God didn't make her like that, I wouldn't be the way I am or I wouldn't respond the way I do. Let's just be men and take responsibility. When we don't respond correctly, don't blame anyone. God, I willfully chose to disobey you. But God is pursuing in disobedience. Then the Lord God in verse 13 said to the woman, What is this you have done? 
The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. God pursues when his children disobey. In Exodus chapter 32, we have the account of the golden calf. We know that Israel chose to have a calf under Aaron's leadership. And it was God who sent Moses down to pursue Israel in their rebellion. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verses 4 through 8, 9, 10, along there, the scripture says, whom God loves, he disciplines. Dads, When your children sin and disobey, they generally will hide. And one of the ways you know when kids disobey is because they're hiding. They respond differently. But pursue them with love, with grace, with questions to draw them back to a relationship with you and relating to God. And in a practical sense, I say this to fathers, to grandfathers. Our children do not need our pursuit of them with anger and frustration because we look like a dunce of a father. Pursue with grace and compassion and a deep brokenness that my child has wandered away from walking in harmony with me or their mother and with God. God came to Adam, I think, with a broken heart because Adam broke the relationship. As you look at Psalm chapter 51... After God had pursued David through Nathan the prophet, we know that David had a sexual relationship with Bathsheba. We know that a child came. We know that he had Uriah killed, you know, through the army. And sometime later, Nathan came to David and told him a little story. And David became very angry and wanted, you know, the man that Nathan told about in the story to be taken care of. And Nathan said, David, you're the man. But it was at that point, because David had an understanding of God, that he came to God and he said, God, I've sinned. And he uses four different words for sin in Psalm 51 to drive home the fact that, God, I've broken this relationship with you. But he had the freedom to come to his father because he knew his heavenly father before the sin. Oh, that we as fathers will be investing in our lives and our grandchildren that when they sin and they disobey you or their mother or God, that they'll have the freedom to come to you because they know that you have pursued them over and over in life with grace 
God as Father provides the guidance necessary to live in relationship with him. God blesses his children. He pursues them in disobedience. And then he extends grace. In Genesis chapter 3, we find that in verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. God said, you know, there's a consequence to disobedience. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Consequence for Adam also. But we see grace in the next two verses. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Adam blew it. But he's continuing to exercise the image of God in ruling in the sense that he names his wife. And then look at the next verse. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and for his wife and clothed them. And we're not going to go into the ramifications of blood being shed and their covering. But in grace, he responds to them, gave them something to wear, and many would believe the blood is tied in with their sin. But what does God as a father do? He not only pursued them, but he extends grace. God could have said, Adam... You're getting what you deserved. Enjoy toiling the ground. Booey on you. He could have said to Eve, you disobeyed. You did not yield to your husband. Booey on you. But what does he do? He made garments and clothed them. Children, when they disobey, need pursued, but they need grace. giving them what they don't deserve. In Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 15, God made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you descendants as the sand of the sea. Time passed. Abraham apparently became impatient. He had a child by Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. But in chapter 17 of Genesis 1, after the account 
of Abraham having a child by Hagar who was not his wife. God came to Abraham and reaffirms the promise. That's grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, we find that Paul talks about the fact that the Ephesians, and I think believers today, were dead in transgressions and sins. They followed the God of this world, the ways of the world, the desires of their own sinful nature. They were a child of wrath. But because of his great love, what did he do? He raised them together with Christ and seated them in the heavenly realms with Christ. And verses 8 through 10 say, it's by grace you've been saved. Grace in the midst of sin and failure. Within the last year, I responded to a man who had hurt me very deeply. Resisted counsel and guidance. A man to whom I've expressed love and concern in various ways over quite a few years. A man who chose basically to stab me, not physically, but relationally. I had a choice I had to make. I thought, I want to be like God. In love and in grace, I reached out to the man. You sinned. You stabbed me, not physically, but in other ways. I care deeply for you. Can this relationship be restored? You walked away from me. I didn't walk away from you. Can this relationship be restored? And then what I did, I extended grace. I gave him some things. In grace. Why? Because the Father, my Father, my Heavenly Father, pursued me and responded to me in grace. As we begin to understand the heart of God as a Father, it makes a difference in how we respond to God. It makes a difference how we respond as fathers, as grandfathers, but overall as believers, how we respond to God in the ups and downs of life. As Father, God teaches, provides the guidance we need to live in relationship with Him, relationship with other people. He has blessed us, provided the resources we need to live in obedience. 
He pursues us in disobedience. And he extends grace in the midst of disobedience. That begins in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And it's carried on throughout Scripture. How God as Father responds. None of us as fathers or grandfathers have arrived. We're not perfect. But God in grace says, I want to continue to work with you. I want to continue to build my qualities into your life until the day you go, or come rather, to be with me. Are we willing as fathers, as grandfathers, as young men who may be fathers someday, to say, God, I want to be molded into your likeness. A father guides and directs and teaches. A father blesses. But when there's disobedience, a father pursues. And in his pursuit, he extends grace. If you are a father, a grandfather, you may be a young man, you may be a boy. Yes, I desire to be moving in the direction of what was discussed this morning. Please pray for me. Feel free to ask me how I am doing in obedience. I will pray very specifically for you. If you fill it out, just hand it to me in the way out. If you're not sure you want to respond in that way, give it to me next week. Because I want you to understand that as a shepherd of believers, I have two primary responsibilities. And that begins in the Old Testament, in light of God shepherding. And that is to teach you, to guide you, to help you to live in relationship with God and in others, with others 24-7. The 12 said we want to give our attention to the ministry of God's word. Secondly, and I think equally as important in terms of responsibility and in terms of time, is to pray. I may spend 10 hours in preparation for a sermon. Do I spend 10 hours in, prep- in preparation for you, in praying for you as you live your lives day by day? So your choice, this is for guys, men, fathers, grandfathers, young guys. You may not be married and so on, but I still want to pursue being a father. The qualities that God as a father has. Again, sign it. Give it to me on the way out. Or next week. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about who you are as a father... We're grateful that you have revealed yourself to us. We're grateful that in Christ you provided the resources we need to be fathers and grandfathers as you have called us. You blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. 
There's a power at work within all of all believers that is beyond what we can ask or comprehend. And Father, those of us who are fathers and grandfathers, we want to be men who will step up and seek to be responsible. So we guide our families. as we bless them, as we pursue them in disobedience, and as we extend grace. Father, we also want to live in dependency upon other men, allowing other men to speak truth to us, to encourage us, to spur us on. We know the world at large, Father, does not respond as we would desire to respond. So when necessary, we want to resist the world and its pressures in order that we can be more and more a father as you are a father. In grace, continue to work in our lives for your glory, Father. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.